Uh, so uh, what I want to talk about tonight for just a, a couple of minutes together here um, is I want to talk about what do you do? What do you do when you don't feel like you're connecting with God? Um, what do you do when you kind of feel like you're in a rut with God? That no matter what you do, no matter what you read, no matter what you listen to, like you just kind of, you, you want to feel close to God, but there's just kind of something that seems to be getting in the way. Like you're not connecting with God like you used to. And so tonight, as we continue trekking through um, selected Psalms, I want to talk about what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves kind of struggling spiritually? Um, I, I think one thing that we, we tend to often forget is that our relationship with God and our journey with God has seasons and ebbs and flows, just kind of like most relationships do, right? Um, you guys will know exactly what I'm talking about. I think when I say um, you've all maybe been in a relationship or, or seen a relationship that has gone through a honeymoon phase. You know what I'm talking about? The honeymoon phase. You start dating somebody and they're, they're perfect. Like they can't do anything wrong. You're texting all the time and you're being all lovey-dovey on Instagram. It makes everybody else throw up, but they don't unfollow you because they love you, you know? And it's like, it's awesome. And like, you're like, oh my God, they kept telling me that wasn't the perfect guy, but he is the perfect guy, you know? And it's like, you're not fighting about anything. You agree about everything. Like, it's awesome. There's no tension. There's no drama. And you're like living on cloud nine. And then it all goes away, you know, eventually, you know, like there's that first fight. There's that first disagreement, tension, drama. Eventually that thing that you just overlooked that annoyed you makes you want to rage inside and you finally blow up. If you bite your nail one more time, I you know what I mean? It's like, you know, um, but it's funny. It's not even just relationships. It was like friendships or new friendships or new roommates. You know, you get so excited. Like, oh yeah, I got this new roommate. Oh my gosh, we watched the same show. Oh my gosh, Grey's Anatomy, TGIT. It's gonna be awesome. Like we're besties, you know? And then a couple months in, it's like, if she leaves one more plate in the freaking, you know, it's like you, you and all of a sudden, you know, it's like tension arises and, and, and drama arises. And it's, and it's not that you don't like that person anymore. It's not that you break up with that person. Please don't, okay? That's not normal life. Um, but, but it's not like you don't want to live with that person anymore or be friends with that person anymore. But, but it's, it's, it's a normal rhythm of relationships, right? They kind of ebb and flow. There's seasons, there's ups, and there's downs, there's highs, and there's lows. But the important thing is that there is a relationship. And if the relationship means enough, you navigate it and you figure it out. Well, the same is true for our faith journey and our relationship with God is that there are seasons, right? I don't know if you remember, but maybe when you first became a Christian, like you were so excited about all things God. Like I remember for me, when I first became a Christian and when I was six, I got my first Bible and I was like, man, I'm, I'm gonna crush this, you know? And I was just, I was so excited about faith and I never wanted to miss church. And for me, it wasn't like something that I had to do. It was something that I got to do. I was so excited. But if you've ever been in one of those seasons or, or I would go to like camps over the summer and I'd come back and I'm like, man, I'm gonna, I'm going to be the best Jesus follower ever, you know? And then two weeks that wears off, you know what I'm talking about? The camp high. Um, but what's true, and, and what I've kind of learned following Jesus for all these years, um, is that there are seasons. There are seasons in your journey of faith, in seasons of following Jesus. Um, there's seasons of growth. There's seasons of discovery. There's seasons of excitement. There's seasons of contentment. Um, and, and just like any other relationship, there's seasons of ups and downs. In fact, what I've most certainly learned as I follow Jesus, and I'm a professional Christian, is that there are seasons of dryness. Yeah, right. Um, seasons of drought, where it's like you're trying so hard to connect with God, but it's just not working. And you want to, you want to, 
Like there are seasons where you open up your Bible and you try so hard to read, but it's just words on a page and you're not connecting. Uh, There's seasons where spending time with God or going to church or going to small group um, feels more like a chore than an opportunity. Right? And there's seasons where like you want to pray and, and you're trying to connect with God, but like your mind just isn't in it. You start to pray and before you know it, you're distracted and you're on Instagram because you're just not in it. You're not there, but you want it. You want to connect. You, you want to feel something. You want to connect with God like you used to. And maybe there's some of you in the room that you aren't sure what you believe about God. You're not sure where you are on this whole faith spectrum, but maybe you, maybe you've sought some kind of experience with God. Hey, before I kind of jump into this thing, before I kind of decide if this is going to be me, like, let me just kind of give this God thing. So maybe you've thrown up a prayer or, or maybe you've tried to read something and you, you, you didn't feel anything. Like, well, what, 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 do you, what do you do? Like, what am I supposed to do then? Uh, maybe for some of you, if you're being totally honest, if you follow Jesus for some time, if you've gone through a season where it's kind of just, there's, you're in this rut and you're just not connecting and, and it's just, there's nothing in you that excites you about spending time with God. Maybe some of you have been afraid or ashamed to actually admit that to somebody because your friend is like, I don't know, the newest theologian posting all these awesome stuff on their Insta story, you know, and a marked up Bible that maybe they did that just for the Insta story. And you're like, well, I, you know, I'm kidding. I'm sure that it's real. But, but you're seeing your friends talk about God potentially and all this stuff. And you're like, well, well I just want to connect with God the way that my friends do. And you're afraid to admit it. And so maybe you've just faked it on the, in, you've faked it on the outside until hopefully you just kind of get there on the inside. And it's been my experience in high school and in college. Whenever I hit these seasons of, of difficulty and, and, and drought and kind of dryness where I just haven't felt like I was connecting with God, um, what I always used to think was I just got to tough it out. I just got to tough through. This is normal. Eventually, eventually it'll go away and I'll enjoy spending time with God again. I just got, I just got to tough it out. Um, but as I've gotten older and as I've continued to follow Jesus, um, I think there's actually a better solution. Um, I think there's actually a better way. I think God might actually intend for us to do something different. I don't think God is mad at you or at me whenever we experience this. If you've followed Jesus for any amount of time, you've felt this, unless you're an alien. You know, like there's no way. Um, we go through these seasons. God's not mad, um, but what's cool about God is I think he's actually given us a way to be able to, to, to move past it and to walk through it. And so that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes today. What do we do? What do we do? What can we do when we feel like we are in a rut spiritually and we're not connecting with God the way we want to or the way that we used to? Um, and to, to figure that out um, and to talk about it, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8, if you're taking notes, Psalm chapter 8, if you have your Bible with you, Psalm chapter 8. Um, but we always use the plasma as a Bible, so why would you bring it? Um, I feel like an irresponsible pastor. Um, I feel like y'all should bring your Bibles. Um, another story for another day, no big deal, NBD. Um, version app is great too. That's a Bible. Um, so, so I don't know. I don't know what I just did. Can we just erase that? Can we pretend like that was never said? Psalm chapter 8, going off the rails here. Psalm chapter 8. David, David wrote this psalm. Um, King David of Israel, he actually wrote many of the psalms. Um, and let's see what he has to say here in Psalm chapter 8, starting in verse 1. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Now, a couple of things here. What, what, what David is doing with this first verse is he is setting the tone for the rest of the psalm. And he's saying, Lord, our Lord. He uses two different lords here. And I don't know if you've ever been reading your Bible and you saw like Lord capitalized and then you saw Lord lowercase and you're like, what? 
they, these publishers cannot figure out what they want to do with the word Lord, you know, like typo. Is God upset about this? This is the Bible. You know, like what? It's actually two different words. And here um, in Psalm, was written in Hebrew, it's two different Hebrew words. Lord, all caps, is actually the word Yahweh, um, which means the one true God of Israel. That's what Israel called their God, Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. And the other Lord, L, with the lowercase o-r-d, is a Hebrew word, Adonai, and it means the sovereign God of creation. And so what David is doing here is saying, hey, I just want to get all the names out there. I want to give you a full scope of who it is that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the God, the one true God of Israel, like that God. Oh yeah, and he also happens to be the one sovereign God in control of everything, creator of the universe. So Lord, our Lord, like let me describe exactly who it is that I'm talking about. How majestic, how, how, how great is your name above all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. He's saying, hey, that, that, that you have set your glory, that your glory even surpasses and it sits on top of the heavens, the heavens that I can't see, the heavens that I can only imagine, the heavens that, that I, I believe exist because you say that they do. Like your glory and your greatness exceeds even that. And so what David is doing here is he's setting the tone for the rest of the psalm and he's trying to give you and I a picture of this, the bigness of God, the, 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 the massiveness of God, the greatness of God. He goes on in verse two and he says this, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Okay, it kind of sounds like an interesting verse. What does that mean? This is actually really cool. So he's talking about the bigness of God. And then he says, through the praises of children and infants. David is saying that, 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 that God is so big and God's glory is, is, is so big and, and so expansive and so vast and so not able to be contained that even through the praises of the weakest humans, even through the praises of the weakest humans, infants, and toddlers, that even through their praises, your glory is shown in the world, and that glory is so big that even through the weakest, it drowns out the voices of the enemy, it drowns out the voices of those that are opposed to God, and that God's glory is everywhere, and that no voice, no enemy, no thing can overcome who God is, his kingdom, or his plan for humanity. That because of God's bigness, he can use the weakest. So David here again is trying to give us a picture of even through the weakest of humans, God's glory is big and God's greatness is bigger than anything that could come up against it. He goes on in verse three and he says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, when, when I consider, I love that word, when I give careful thought to, when I give special attention to, when I give intentional thought too. Isn't it so true? Oftentimes when you stop to consider something, usually you're thinking about something that you've overlooked previously. When you stop to consider, when someone asks you, hey, have you considered this? It's something that maybe you haven't seen before or something you've forgotten or, or something that you haven't seen from that perspective. And so David is saying, when I just stop long enough to think in a new way, when I just stop long enough to see something differently, when I just stop long enough to consider, he says, your heavens. I love this. And he says, it's the work of your fingers. I want everyone to pull out your hands. Just humor me here for a second. And I just want you to just literally like touch your fingers with your thumbs. Just touch your fingers. And as you're, as you're touching your fingers, I want you to think about, last time you used your fingers to, to build something, 
Maybe you like to build a jigsaw puzzle or you, you, you organized something, you know, or you wrote on a sticky note. And, and, and isn't it so funny? Whenever you're building a puzzle or you're trying to move something with your fingers, it's effortless. So small. You can just use your fingers. It's not that big of a deal. Like, it's easy. It's simple. It's small that you can do this work with your fingers. And David here, again, talking about the bigness and the greatness of God, that with ease as we can move things with our fingers, he's saying the creation of the heavens is the work of your fingers. That with ease, with effortlessness, God created the heavens. And he says the moon and the stars that you have set in place I want you to think about the last time that you organized something. Maybe you got a new desk and you make it look all pretty. You got like a succulent and got like a frame here, you know. Or maybe you get in a brand new room, a new brand new apartment, and so you're organizing it and you're setting things in place. You know, you put the dresser here and this here and this there. That just as we set things in place to organize order, God set the moon and the stars in place to organize the order of the universe. David is saying, when I stop to think about how great you are, when when I stop to consider your bigness and your greatness, it only leads me to this in verse 4. He says, what is mankind then? In light of how great you are, God, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. I love this. He says, hey, in light of how big you are, in light of your greatness that you've, the heavens with your fingers and you set the universe in place just like I would organize my room, that in light of how big you are, who am I that you would care about me? Who or what is mankind that you would even be thoughtful of me or be mindful of me or give thought to me? Who am I in light of how big and great you are? Why are you paying attention to me? Who am I that you would care for me? I don't know about you, but um, some of the most significant moments in my uh, kind of faith, I guess you can call them significant moments, or, or maybe just moments where my faith kind of gets like a, a bit of a steroid shot, is when I'm standing before some kind of incredible creation or when I learn about creation. Like when I'm standing in front of an incredible view, maybe I'm like at the top of some kind of mountain or cabin, and I can see an unbelievable view. You know how sometimes when you're driving up to maybe some kind of North Georgia mountains and they have those kind of lookouts and you kind of pull over and you're able to look out and see the massiveness and the beauty. It's in those moments when I feel so small. Or maybe, maybe if you're, you're hanging out at the beach and one thing that I love to do um, is I'll just sit there and I'll just stare out at the ocean. And I'll stare out at the vastness of the ocean, the horizon that seems to kind of end, but I know that it doesn't. I think about the depth of the ocean. I think about when I pick up sand, I can't even count the number of sand particles that are just on the tip of my finger. And I feel so small. But by small and insignificant, I don't mean that, I, that, that it, I'm self-deprecating. I mean, literally, I feel a tiny part of creation when I see the vastness of all that created, that God created. I literally am like, man, I am small. I had the opportunity to fly into the Grand Canyon via helicopter last year. That was unbelievable. Kind of terrifying. I get sick in airplanes and roller coasters, but it was unbelievable. And you're kind of flying in, you're like, oh, that looks cool. I mean, yeah, it looks kind of big. And then you get in it and you're like, oh my God. Is the only thing that I can think of saying. I mean, you feel so small and you feel so insignificant. 
And I don't know that I feel it any more than when I think about space or when I look up at the stars. I don't know if that's something that you ever like to do. And I try to just, if you ever, you know, moments when you're, when, when the stars are out, maybe you're in a place where there's not a lot of lights and you can see the stars, or maybe you're like a geek like me and you watch like planet earth or, or, or you, you read about the universe or you try to find different facts about the galaxy. Like for me, it science nerd in the crowd. Um, it blows my mind when I think about space, trying to, trying to comprehend even what space is. You ever read about a black hole? It will blow, what? Yeah, well, we don't know what happens. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, black hole, yeah, you go into, we, we don't know. What, um, what is it? We don't even know. It's crazy. I mean, I, like, you want to talk about being small, but let me, just, let me just geek out here for just a second, okay? That there are at least, and these are just our best guesses, okay? There's a lot of smart people, but they don't know for sure, okay? But at the very least, 400 billion stars in just our Milky Way galaxy. 400 billion just in our galaxy. Now listen to this. There are an estimated 170 billion observable galaxies outside of our galaxy. So let me just break that down for just a minute. It's kind of confusing. So 400 billion stars just in our galaxy. And then outside of our galaxy, there's at least 170 observable ones. There can be more not observable ones. It's mind boggling. I mean, you wanna talk about small? This one's crazy. There could, there, this, this is nuts. There could, there's not even a number tied to this, but I read this, I was like, this is ridiculous. Researchers now believe there could actually be an infinite number of universes. Okay, wait, hang on. So what they actually are starting to think is that space goes on forever. What? I freak out on a 20 hour plane ride, you know? Like, think about this. Like, you wanna like be terrified? Honestly, the, the brand new horror film, getting trapped on a, on a spaceship that's just traveling through space. I think there was a movie about that. There was, what's her face? Katniss Everdeen. She was, yeah, you know what I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I, that's not her real name, but what's her real name? Doesn't matter. Um, but I mean, think about this for just, just, just let your mind go there for just a moment that space would go on and could go on forever, infinite, no end. Like there's no exit. There's no, you know, no exit here. There's no dead end. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. If that is so big and infinite, how much greater and bigger the one who created it is what David is getting at here. And that that God, that massive being, creator of the universe, who did it with his fingers, is mindful of me and that he cares for you. I don't know, um, for me, I, I, you know, I, I don't like freak out about celebrities, but I kind of do. Like I love when I see them, okay? And isn't it so funny how Whenever we like see celebrities, whenever like we see a celebrity on Instagram giving love to us lowly peasants, do you know what I mean? Like when T-Swift stops and actually says hey to somebody and takes a selfie with them, you know, like we're up, they're up here and we're down here, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, thank you for gracing me with your words. You know, it's like, thank you, you know, you've, you've come down to us lowly people, I appreciate it. We applaud them, it's so interesting. Um, 
uh, happened with the World Cup just recently. So Cristiano Ronaldo plays for Portugal, um, and uh, he um, they had a game opening game against Spain. Um, I did not get to watch most. I saw part of the second half on an airplane. Um, Chandler was telling me about it. He said it was the greatest soccer match he'd ever seen. Um, and it was pretty amazing. Um, Portugal um, was up 1-0, I believe. Then Spain went up 2-1. And then Cristiano Ronaldo ended up scoring two more goals. He scored a free kick near the end of the game to tie the game. He had a hat trick. I mean, it was his best international performance for Portugal, as if the guy wasn't already, like, you know, full of accolades. And now he did this. I mean, this guy's, like, on top of the world in soccer. And after the game, he's going out to the team bus, and there's this kid that apparently loves Cristiano Ronaldo, and he's, he's crying just at the sight of him. Yeah, right? So Ronaldo, he gets off the bus, and he, and he goes, and he, and he says hey to this kid, and he wipes the tears off his face, and he takes a selfie with him, and he signs some stuff, and he has a phone with his kid, and I just remember thinking, man, Ronaldo, you, that's awesome. You know, like we applaud that. It's like, bro, you're up here. Thank you for lowering yourself just for a minute to come down to us. We do that with celebrities, if I may. How much more so should we be in awe that the creator of the universe would be mindful of you and of me? That the creator of the universe would care for you and for me. And David is blown away by this reality. He's having this moment with God and he's blown away and should blow us away as well. In fact, I was kind of thinking about it, that our smallness, if I could say it this way, our smallness in light of creation shows us our significance in the sight of our creator. That, that our smallness in light of all that is created, it shows us, it should direct us towards our significance in the eyes of and in the sight of our creator. Do you want to know that you matter? The God of the universe is mindful of you and he actually cares for you. And you know what's amazing about this is that he not only just created the universe, he's mindful of you and he created you and I very specifically and very uniquely and very intricately. Like, I bet you if David knew what we knew about science today, he would have added some of this to Psalm 8. Like, I don't know if you ever thought about how intricately you and I are created by God. Like, you wanna talk about God being mindful of you? The way that he created life to work and the way he created human bodies to work and to function is mind-boggling. Let me give you some of the detail around what God did. We're gonna geek out again here, people. Did you know that the human brain, the human brain, most of them, mine, I'm not so sure, but most human brains have 10 billion gigabytes of memory. If you're wondering, it's about 78,125 iPhones, depending on the storage capacity of your current device, okay? If you're walking around with an iPhone 5 with 16 gigs of storage, it's way more than that, okay? 10 billion gigs of memory in your brain. Um, this is crazy. This is how God created you and me. That if, if human beings, if we took our DNA strands, like just one of just my DNA strands that I have, and we uncoiled them and stretched them out, they would go for 10 billion miles. Just mine, just my DNA. That's to get us to Pluto and back. God did that. And everybody is unique. Um, this is crazy. You have, and I have, 75 trillion cells in our bodies that replace themselves. What? Are you kidding me? 75 trillion cells that are moving around your body, doing different things, and they 
they're so considerate as to replace themselves when they die to make sure you don't. I mean, come on, people. It's crazy. And then how about this? You want to talk about being mindful of us? You want to talk about being, this, 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 if you're not a Christian, this will make you believe in God. Kidding. But if gravity, if gravity was off by this number, if, if, if gravity, the pull of gravity was off by one-tenth to the 40th power, which is point a lot of zeros one. If gravity was off by this amount, life-sustaining stars like the sun could not exist, therefore neither would we. You wanna talk about fine-tuning the planet and being so mindful of humanity before we even got here to make sure we would be okay. The creator of the universe, God did that for you and for me. That he cares for you. And what I love about it is in all of his bigness, he cares about your life and he cares about your relationships and he cares about your health and he's mindful of the details of your life and he wants to be involved in your life. And he sent Jesus to die for you and to die for me. He wasn't okay just being creator God. He also wanted to be father for David, it blows him away. And he goes on, and, and what he says next is actually maybe even, maybe not more amazing, but just as amazing. He says, so you have, you, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? He says, you have made them, mankind, humans, us, a little lower than the angels. And actually this word angels, I'm not trying to geek out here too much, but there's like some debate. Some people think that Hebrew word actually means God. So the point being, no matter what you think, that he made us just lower than the heavenly beings. Like that's how much that's how much significance he, he sees in us. And he crowned them with glory and honor. He said, you made them, he's talking about humankind, rulers over the works of your hands. And he put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Let me translate. God, creator, created this world beautifully, created everything in it. And then he said, hey, humanity, you be in charge. I'm gonna create this world, I'm gonna create everything in it, and now I want you to rule it. I want you to have dominion over it. I want you to run it. David's like, okay, this is, let's just think about this for a minute, God, that, that you're so big and you're mindful of me and you care about me and you created all of this and then to cap it all off, you then gave us your creation to rule and to have dominion over let me just tell you what this translates for you and for me, because I know we're not talking about like ruling over the fish of the ocean at KSU, okay, or wherever it is that you're going next year. But let me tell you what that means for you and for me, is that God not only created this world with you in it, but he also created it for you to have purpose, that you have a role to play in the story of God, that you've got gifts, you've got talents, you've got abilities, and you've got passions that God wants to use to continue to carry out his plan here on earth that in this room, there's a next generation of leaders. In this room, you guys are the next generations of leaders of companies, leaders of schools, leaders of, uh, of, of families, leaders of whatever you do, leaders of churches, maybe some of you. And God is saying, hey, I have put you here on purpose and for a purpose and I've created all of this. And yeah, just to cap it off, I also want you to have purpose and a role here on earth. And for David, 
in light of all of that, it leads him to end the psalm the very same way he started. Praise. He says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic. In light of everything that we just talked about, how great is your name in all the earth. So the question is then, so out of Psalm 8, what do we do? In seasons of dryness and seasons of drought and seasons when we don't feel like we are connecting with God, what does Psalm 8 tell us to do? Well, I think there's two things that we talked about. I'm going to summarize them like this. The first thing that I would encourage you to do, whenever you hit a season, you might be in this season, given what we learned in Psalm 8, the first is this. Consider God's creation. Consider God's creation. I really mean this. This is how I want you to apply this message in your life. For a moment, just put aside the Bible. Just for a moment, I'm going to get fired. Just for a second. And you, I want you to consider God's creation. I want you to go stargazing. I'm being dead serious. I want you to literally find a spot. I want you to go, up, I don't know, maybe don't go up to Kennesaw Mountain at night. That sounds like it might be dangerous. But maybe go to the green or, or go somewhere where you can grab a blanket. Be careful if you go with someone you're in a relationship with because that gets crazy. Um, but, but I want you to go stargazing. Like I literally want you to just stare up at the stars for a while. I want you to wait till you see a shooting star. I want you to try and count stars. There's a really cool app on your phone called Starwalk, and when you hold it up to the sky, it actually tells you what constellations are up there. I literally want you to go look at the stars. I want you to consider God's creation. Next time you're at the beach, you know what I want you to do? I want you to put aside spike ball for just a minute, and I want you just to sit there, and I want you to just stare at the ocean and watch the infinite rows of waves come crashing in. I want you to pick up the sand and be blown away at how much there is. I want you to consider God's creation. I want you to watch planet Earth. Go watch. I'm, I'm so, I am so serious. Go watch planet Earth. And put it on the biggest screen that you can find. And I want you to be blown away by the creation of God. I want you to go Google facts about the universe and the human body. Y'all think I'm joking. Go do it today. Go Google facts. You can find all these dumb websites, but they're awesome. It's like, oh, the 20 most amazing facts about earth. Go read them. It will blow your mind. I want you to consider God's creation. You know what I love about David? You know what David didn't have when he wrote Psalm 8? The Bible. The Bible did not exist. He didn't feel close to God by reading the Bible. And in this moment where he wrote Psalm 8, I think the reason why he talked about the moon and the stars, you know why? Because I think David looked up. I think God had an interaction, or David had an interaction with God, and he had this moment with God, and you know how it happened? By considering his creation, he just looked up. I want you to consider God's creation, and here's why. I think Psalm 8 tells us to, but here's what's true for me, and maybe you'll find that it's true for you. I am, personally, I am most in awe of God when I stop to consider how insignificant I am and how intricate I am. I'm telling you. Learning about how small and insignificant I am compared to creation and learning how intricate I am created to be does so much for my faith personally. I mean, my faith grows when I learn about the human body. My faith in God grows when I take in and consider his creation. So the first thing I want you to do, and you don't have to be in a season of dry difficulty struggling with God. You can do this now, but especially for those of us that fact we're having a difficult time connecting. The first, I want you to consider God's creation. And the second, 
I want you to discover your calling. I want you to discover your calling. David specifically talks about this in that second half of Psalm. The greatness of God, he's mindful of us, and then he's given you and I purpose in this world. I want you, for some of you, to rediscover your calling. What do I mean by that? What are you passionate about? Like, I want you to figure out, and what an amazing time to do it during your college-aged years. And even if you're not in college, these are unique seasons of your life. What are you put on this earth to do? Like, what is God, not what, are you, what, what, what your parents want you to do, not what these people want you to do. No, like, what has God called you to do? Like, what has he created you to do? How do you figure that out? What are you passionate about? What are you good at? What are you gifted in? Like, where are your talents and capabilities and, and, and your talent? Where does that take you? Where does your giftedness lead you? What breaks your heart? Like, I want you to figure out what your calling is. What has God put you on this earth to? And maybe you can't do it now, but you can start taking steps to help you get there so you can do it later. And here's why this is so big in moments of drought and dryness and trying to connect with God is because purpose fuels passion. Purpose fuels passion. That there is something so extraordinary that happens in your faith journey and with your relationship with your heavenly father whenever you believe and know that you are walking in the purpose for which he created you to walk. When you are pursuing the thing that he designed you to do. Because purpose fuels passion. And so when you find yourself in moments of struggling, to connect with God, and you're not quite sure what to do, you've tried reading and you've tried doing this, that, and the other. What if we took a cue from Psalm 8? Consider God's creation and discover or, or, or rediscover your calling. And as you do, and as we do, and as I do, maybe, just maybe, it might lead us to that thought-provoking, perspective-shifting question that we saw in verse four, where David said, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? What is man that you care for him? And in light of that question, that maybe you and I with our lips and with our lives might sing and praise, how great is our God? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you desire relationship with us. Um, thank you that you desire to connect with us. Father, um, thank you that you created this world. Thank you that you created us to live in this world, to lead in this world. Father, I pray that tonight, no matter where we are, no matter where we find ourselves, that we would find the beauty in all that you created and we would find the beauty in the fact that as great as you are and as massive as you are, you have called us and you, you want to live in relationship with us. And I pray that tonight that would blow us away. I pray tonight it would blow us away the fact that you not only created this world, but then allowed us to rule in it and to have purpose in it and to lead in it. And I pray, Father, that no matter what season of faith no matter where we are in our faith journey, I pray you would help remind all of us of your greatness through your creation, through all that you made, how you made it, and how you made us, and how you've called us to be a part of all of it. We're grateful. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.